Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure uh, to return to Charlotte again uh, for this uh, annual year-end discussion of the economic outlook. Uh, your introduction uh, left out um, my very first experience with economic forecasting, uh, which was at Wharton Econometric Forecasting Associates, Inc., uh, a not-for-profit organization. We took the not-for-profit part very, very seriously. Um, back in the late 1970s, uh, we called it WIFA for short. Uh, it was at the time it was headed by Professor Lawrence Klein, a Nobel laureate in economics later uh, for his pioneering work on large-scale econometric models uh, used for forecasting the economy. Among other things, while I was there, um, I learned just how hard the forecasting business was, and I saw uh, up close and personal firsthand uh, how some very smart, uh, very dedicated, hardworking people, including Nobel laureates, uh, can make economic forecasts that turn out after the fact to be dead wrong. Uh, so it's with a little bit of trepidation that I accept each year Henry's uh, kind invitation uh, to come down here to address you folks and his encouragement to provide a new America forecast for GDP growth for the coming year. Last year, my guess was that real GDP would grow between two and a half and two and three quarters percent this year. And as it turns out, it looks like growth with a quarter we're in right now will come in at about 1% of an annual rate. And that would put uh, real GDP for the fourth quarter of this year um, a bit above 2.5% ahead of real GDP in the fourth quarter of last year. But I'm, I'm not going to claim stellar success um, because at, at LIFA we stress that uh, an important service that we provide to our clients is to provide a story, a narrative, a coherent narrative that stitch together um, both how economic conditions will likely to evolve and why. And uh, when I look back at the story I told last year, well, I can say I, I may have predicted the headline number pretty well. I really missed out on the how and why of how economic conditions would unfold this year. Most importantly, I thought um, a year ago that the housing market would have bottomed out well before now. Moreover, I did not foresee the turmoil in wholesale credit markets, nor the extent to which underwriting standards on home mortgages would be further tightened. On the positive side, however, I did not anticipate the strength in net exports, which has added measurably to economic growth this year. So it's been a year of surprises uh, for me, to say the least. I'll begin today by discussing uh, current economic conditions in a bit more detail before going on to discuss uh, the outlook for the coming year. Before we begin, though, let me note that, as usual, uh, the views I express are my own and do not necessarily uh, represent uh, views shared by my colleagues on the Federal Open Market Committee. Clearly, the severity of the housing market downturn, along with the attendant financial market fallout, has been the dominant macroeconomic development of the past year. After a 10-year expansion, residential investment peaked in 2005. Since then, construction sales have fallen fairly sharply, first in large metropolitan areas that had seen the strongest boom, and then spreading this year to other markets where housing price increases were less pronounced. Despite the fall off in, in construction, inventories of unsold homes have risen sharply. This whole and level of inventory is currently depressing home prices and new construction. Speaking of prices, home prices increased significantly during the long expansion 
particularly in local markets with restricted supply. Existing home sales, uh, I'm sorry, existing home prices increased about 90% between 1995 and 2005 for the nation as a whole. In the Washington, D.C. market, for example, uh, home prices increased nearly 150% over that same time period and rose another 11% in 2006. Here in Charlotte, prices climbed uh, about 50% from 95 to 05 and another 17% since then. Of course, rapid increases in real quality adjusted prices are not indefinitely sustainable for any asset. And in the case of housing, potential buyers eventually get priced out of the market. In many markets, prices change the course relatively quickly, uh, but in others, prices have continued to increase. Average prices for the nation as a whole fell in the third quarter of this year by four tenths of, of a percent. And that's the first national price decline we've seen since 1994. Informally, hot markets, declines have been largest, prices falling, for example, over 5% in San Diego. Prices have fallen significantly as well in areas with weak regional economies, like Michigan and Northern Ohio. Developments in housing finance have arguably played a substantial role in the behavior of housing markets this year. Here, the long-term story, though, is the technology-driven wave of innovation and retail credit delivery that has dramatically expanded access to home mortgage credit over the last decade, just as it expanded access to unsecured consumer credit uh, earlier on. Technology has also contributed to innovation, securitization, and other forms of intermediation credit flows, which also helps lower borrowing costs. As with any new product or service innovation, however, some experimentation and risk is inevitably involved. Future research may quantify the extent to which credit market innovation contributed to a boom in housing market activity by expanding the pool of potential homeowners. In any event, when the growth in housing demand came to an end, home prices peaked and began falling in many markets. In hindsight, it seems clear that the success of new methods of lending to riskier borrowers was to some extent dependent on sustained home price appreciation, which provided strained borrowers with the ability to refinance, thus masking the effects of more inclusive underwriting. It takes some time, however, for the likely ultimate loss experience of a given mortgage portfolio to become evident. While observers were raising concerns early on, uh, for example, the late Federal Reserve Governor Ned Gramlich, it wasn't until this year, after home prices had peaked in some major markets, that more quantitative evidence began to emerge regarding the substantial extent to which mortgage loans made in 2006 would underperform previous vintages. The ensuing adjustments in underwriting standards further contributed to the decline in housing demand. The story behind this year's unfolding drama in credit markets is continuing reassessment of the fundamental values of non-prime mortgages. Demand fell for financial security exposed to those assets, as well as a range of related securities. Many of these securities were the liabilities of entities with explicit or implicit bank lending guarantees. And many banks that provided such guarantees have had to either meet large funding demands or bring the impaired assets onto their balance sheets. Uncertainty about the scale of, which, uh, of such adjustments has generally meant higher funding costs and capital costs, although risk premium has increased 
far more for some institutions than for others. In the last several weeks, wholesale funding markets have increasingly shown the effects of heightened uncertainty surrounding financial institutions' adjustment requirements. Term funding spreads relative to expected overnight rates have become quite elevated for some banks. Differentiation in rates across institutions has become more pronounced, and the volume of term funding appears to have contracted. Increases in interbank interest rates associated with year-end balance sheet considerations have occurred many times in the past, but market participants appear to expect low overnight rates over the year-end this time. This strongly suggests that term funding premium now reflects assessments of counterparty risk rather than expectations that the funds rate may play. Credit terms have tightened for non-financial borrowers as well. Mortgage rate spreads have increased significantly for riskier borrowers and riskier products, and many lenders are requiring large down payments. Spreads for high-yield debt and commercial mortgage-backed securities have risen sharply. On the other hand, sound businesses with negligible exposure to housing markets have seen little change in the terms on which they can access credit. This strong differentiation in the response of lending spreads across borrowing classes suggests that increasing spreads have been driven mainly by changing risk assessments rather than by bank funding pressures. How will all this affect the economy going forward? Higher risk spreads and generally tighter lending terms will tend to restrict spending in the near term. But short and longer term treasury rates have fallen in the last few months, providing a partial offset to higher spreads. The net effect is for lower rates for low risk borrowers, but higher rates for riskier borrowers. The housing sector has been and will continue to be affected by the tightening we've seen in lending terms. Home construction and sales are likely to bottom out, uh, or I'm sorry, are unlikely to bottom out before the middle of next year. And I expect housing to continue to be a drag on growth well into 2008. Business investment is likely to continue to grow, but less robustly than in, 19, than in 2007, as some firms face higher costs of capital, and many firms face uncertainty in the demand for their products. Exports will be a source of strength next year, I believe, as weaker dollar and stronger economies overseas support the demand for U.S. goods and services. Accordingly, the trade deficit is likely to continue to narrow, providing a modest boost to real GDP growth going forward. The main story in the forecast, however, remains household spending, which comes for 70% of GDP. Higher energy prices and falling home prices are often cited as factors that could dampen consumer spending, and these are legitimate concerns in my view. At the same time, since my old week today, I've learned not to underestimate the resilience of the American consumer, and here I see some reasonably encouraging signs. Job growth has surged this year, but even so, payroll employment has expanded by an average of 100,000 jobs per month over the last three months. Moreover, wage gains are outpacing inflation now, and thus real incomes are continuing to expand. I believe the most likely scenario, therefore, is for reasonably solid income growth next year that will support further gains in consumer spending. Putting it all together, I expect growth to be very weak for several more quarters, but to improve as we move through 2008. So if I had to guess, and as I said, my host Henry generally insists, I would write down that real GDP growth will be somewhere between 2 and 2.25% from the fourth quarter of 07 to the fourth quarter of 08. 
which represents a growth rate somewhat below long-run trends for our economy. I would agree that the most cogent risks to the growth outlook are on the downside, however. For example, some uncertainty around the extent to which households and business spending could come in lower than I expect. Nevertheless, I believe the most out likely outcome is for growth to continue and improve over the course of the year. My outlook is more benign than some others I'm aware of, but I should note that it does not depend on an overly sensitive view of financial market conditions, which are, after all, a significant source of uncertainty right now. Much remains to be learned about the magnitude of ultimate losses of various mortgage market segments and on various related securities, and that the of turmoil could well recur in response to new information. But I believe that financial market participants will find ways to work through these problems as the year progresses. Financial intermediaries will readjust balance sheets and replenish capital as needed, and investors' desire for transparency will help shape the next generation of financial market innovation. Let me conclude by discussing the inflation picture. As measured by the 12-month change in the PCE price index, our favorite, inflation was 3.5% in the 12 months ending in June 2006, and that measure fell to 1.8% in August of 2007. Similarly, core inflation, which emits the volatile food and energy price components, was 2.5% in the 12 months ending in August of 2006, and then declined to 1.8% in August of 2007. Declines were heartening, and when the financial market turmoil intensified in August, the improving inflation picture allowed even an inflation talk to endorse an easier monetary policy stance. Since August, however, the inflation picture has deteriorated. In September and October, the overall PCE price index rose at a 3.3% annual rate, and the core index rose at a 2.6% annual rate. Judging by the closely related consumer price index, the numbers for November will be even worse. Now, these numbers do display transitory swings from time to time, so I would want to extrapolate them forward indefinitely. Still, I have to say that I'm uncomfortable with the inflation picture and disappointed that the improvement we saw earlier this year was not more lasting. I'm also troubled by the lengthy divergence we've seen between overall and core inflation. Some of you may recall that core inflation was devised in the 1970s as a measure to filter out some of the more volatile components of consumer prices to get a better read on emerging inflation trends. For several decades, core inflation seemed to work pretty well with that, due to the fact that food and energy prices had no clear trend relative to overall prices. In the last few years, however, overall inflation has been persistently above core inflation. Few observers expect oil prices to go back below $20 a barrel. Because the job of a central banker is to protect the purchasing power of the currency, it is overall inflation that we need to keep down, not just core inflation. Going forward, markets expect oil prices to back off slightly from the current level, and I hope they're right. But if energy prices fail to decline, monetary policy decisions will be that much more difficult in 2008. Thank you very much.